skin is a living part of your body and your largest organ. And as skincare experts for over 30 years, Dermalogica's number one focus is on empowering people to achieve their healthiest skin ever. Education is at the heart of everything we do. So our podcast brings advice from top skin health experts directly to you. Join us as we discuss research and skin technologies to help you get real results. Welcome to your skincare journey with Dermalogica. It's time to start living in your healthiest skin. Welcome to Living Skin. I'm Beth Wyalko from Global Education, and we have an amazing guest with us today, Dr. Melissa Levine, who is a board-certified dermatologist in New York City. Dr. Levine actually specializes in facial dermatosis, such as rosacea, acne, eczema, and aesthetic dermatology. And today she is here with us so we can take a deeper dive into sensitive skin. So welcome, Dr. Levine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you today, Beth. Well, we are excited to have you here with us and hope to have you again a a few more times if you'll be a guest. And I know Absolutely. Oh, it's perfect. I know our um our listeners are excited to actually hear what you have to say because sensitive skin right now is a major topic. A lot of people, you know, in the globally seem to, it seems to be more of a a skin condition that is taking on a bit more concern. And I think even when you and I worked together in New York here um, in December, we even had the discussion that a lot of people are claiming that their skin is actually sensitive. So I think the first question is, are you seeing more of this condition in your practice? And how are you helping them to kind of define whether they have sensitive skin or is it possibly something that they're doing to their skin? Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a really great question. To me, you know, sensitive skin is is actually really a marketing term. Um, without a real clear definition for a lot of consumers to really hang their hat on. So even though I would say approximately 60% of consumers really self-identify as sensitive skin, it's a little bit confusing as to who actually has sensitive skin conditions or what we call, you know, I know that at um, Dermalogica and even in practice, what we call sensitize. So meaning you don't have an underlying inflammatory skin condition um, that constitute you as having sensitive skin, but you're possibly doing things or the environment is doing things to your skin that make you have symptoms of sensitive skin. So, you know, as a dermatologist who specializes in you know, rashes or acne and rosacea on the face, um, I see a lot of patients who come in, probably 70 to 80% of my patients come in saying that they have sensitive skin. And so as a dermatologist, it's really important for me and for the patients um, to really identify whether they truly have something like rosacea or atopic dermatitis, which is, you know, eczema that you're born with, Um, other types of eczema, such as allergies on the skin, um, or if they have something we call cosmetic intolerance syndrome. Um, And so that really means that they don't have any real clinical signs of skin disease, like redness or swelling or flaking or, you know, open cracks in the skin, Um, but they are experiencing symptoms of, you know, facial skin irritation, burning, and stinging um, that 
may have to do with really hyper-reactivity to the environment or reacting to different products they're using on their face or environmental triggers like the wind, the change in humidity, um, UV radiation, pollution, um, or even, you know, things that we ingest like spices or alcohol. Um, and a lot of times stress can, you know, cause these types of symptoms as well. Um, and I think it's helpful both for the clients and obviously myself um, when we kind of really help people figure out exactly what's going on with their skin. Okay. So it seems like even in your practice, you're seeing both those clinical signs, like you mentioned, like eczema or a type of dermatitis, and then those who are actually experiencing something that's a little bit more external. So do you think that when your patients come to see you, do you feel like more people are confused by what, what the trigger is? Are they self-diagnosing or do you feel... Or do you feel like coming to see you as a dermatologist helps them kind of sort that out and really define it for them? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we live in like WebMD <laughs> land where everyone's just like Googling things left and right and, you know, self-diagnosing. And, you know, there is this knowledge obsession that I see in skin health and the beauty space. And I'm sure you see that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really because, you know, information is everywhere you know, we can access things like, you know, this podcast or, you know, Instagram and Facebook and different articles and bloggers. And, you know, people are just inundated with information. And when that happens, it's kind of like, oh, I have this or I have that. And I need to try this product and that product. And it can get really overwhelming and confusing. It's even overwhelming for me. And I'm a dermatologist. So I think, you know, if you are having symptoms, um, of, you know, irritation, burning, stinging, and obviously if you have, you know, signs of a rash or inflammation on your skin, you really should see a dermatologist to give you um, better clarity. But if you can't access the dermatologist, I do think that, you know, a skin therapist can absolutely be so helpful um, rather than just, you know, self-diagnosing yourself and looking at, you know, what your friends are doing on Facebook. It can be really confusing and sometimes harmful to the skin. Right. No, I think that's a, a really good point, especially that if you don't know what to do and then you just start kind of reaching for anything that's over the counter or like you said, something you've read about, it may not be truly appropriate for your skin condition or your skin type. Um, yeah. And, and maybe it can worsen the condition. When it comes Absolutely. to, yeah, when it comes to skin types and skin conditions, um, and you talked about sensitivity even having more of a genetic link. I know that you specialize, right, in eczema, psoriasis, and rosacea. Yeah. Could, yeah, could you tell us a little bit more, maybe some underlying differences between these inflammatory skin disorders versus someone maybe who has just kind of sensitized their skin due to, like, environments and or, you know, pollution or, or stress? Yeah. So more commonly on the face, we see eczema and rosacea um, as sensitive skin conditions. Um, and this really falls into the category of inflammatory skin conditions. And, you know, absolutely, there is genetics and family history is really important, but other things are important as well in terms of what the patient is using, their habits, their, you know, occupation, their triggers. So rosacea is actually a chronic skin condition, meaning that we can't cure it, 
but we can control it and we can help manage it. And rosacea really um, is two different things. First of all, there's a barrier defect. So we talk about the skin barrier, which I'm sure we'll do a deeper dive in. Um, as well, we call this vasomotor instability, which means that there is kind of a hyperreactivity with like dilation or like your blood vessels getting bigger or you know more wide. So that really accounts for a lot of facial flushing or getting really red. Um, but also there are symptoms of stinging and burning, and sometimes you can get a more inflammatory form of rosacea um, where you can get actual little red bumps or little red bumps with little yellow heads on top of that, and people mistaken that for just plain old acne, but it's actually mm -hmm. acne rosacea or inflammatory rosacea. And there is another variant of rosacea that can actually affect the eyes, um, where you can have this stinging and burning sensation and dryness of the eyes. Um, that's inflammation of what we call the cornea, which is like the outer layer of the eyeball. Um, and then sometimes rosacea can be really, really inflamed and actually cause like structural changes of the nose. Um, and so you can kind of see this in like history books um, of kind of, um, it's usually a man in the pictures with mm -hmm. like a beet red face and like a bulbous nose. That's what we call rhinophimitis rosacea. Okay. Um, atopic dermatitis or eczema. Um, so atopic dermatitis is a type of eczema. Eczema is really like an umbrella term. Um, and I kind of compare it like asthma on the skin. So hmm. it's also a barrier defect, um, but it's associated with, you know, either allergies on the skin or inhaled allergies where you get like a runny nose or you get hay fever. I like to explain it kind of like having leaky skin where the barrier is broken, um, either because there's like a genetic condition um, where you're missing, you know, important proteins that keep the barrier healthy and strong. And then allergens or irritants can either come into the skin and cause allergies, um, and you can have also this underlying inflammation. So there are two different type of skin conditions, mm -hmm. um, but they can have similar common symptoms of like stinging and burning and itch. Okay. And I think that's important the way that you really describe the two different, um, you know, skin issues between eczema and rosacea, because again, if this is something new for you, if you've never been diagnosed or you haven't seen a dermatologist, um, or understanding, you know, what is happening on the skin, you know, you can potentially, you know, put on the wrong product or put on something that causes more of that burning and stinging irritation. But at the end of the day, inflammation is inflammation, right? We need to be able to, to take care of that, of that irritation. Now we've talked a lot about, I know you and I've had quite a few discussions about the barrier and a compromised barrier. And you mentioned that a little bit mm -hmm. in our conversation today. Let's get into that a little bit deeper. Um, as far as really mm -hmm. being able to kind of explain what happens um, when, you know, we're, we know we're losing the water uh, from the skin and getting that dehydration. Mm -hmm. And if the barrier is compromised, then like those irritants and allergens that you're mentioning, they can easily penetrate, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of us use the metaphor that the skin is really like a brick wall. Mm -hmm. um, so if you think about a brick wall, your skin cells are the actual bricks and the mortar um, are important proteins and lipids or fats um, that really hold the skin cells together. 
Um, so sometimes, you know, people think, oh my God, whatever I put into the skin, it's going to get into my body and I'm going to die or something horrible is going to happen. But your skin is actually a barrier to the outside world. Um, but that barrier can be broken. So for me, actually, when I look at moisturizers that I recommend to my patients, um, I look at a barrier repair moisturizer. Um, and that's really a technology that combines, you know, the important fats um, for the tightest and the strongest barrier protection to kind of rebuild that mortar um, that's often lost just naturally with aging or disrupted with an underlying skin condition like rosacea or eczema or broken from something that we're doing either from like harsh cleansers, um, you know, artificial fragrance products, or even, you know, changes in the environment. Um, and we know that um, there are important um, lipids or fats in the skin. Um, there's three basic kind of big categories. Um, one is ceramides, which we hear a lot about, um, mm -hmm. cholesterol and fatty acids. And there is a normal ratio that exists um, in the skin barrier, and that's one to one. So one ceramide, two cholesterol, and one fatty acid. So for me, um, having this barrier repair moisturizer or technology is um, definitely a, a game changer when we look for helpful moisturizers when you have sensitive skin. Mm -hmm. So it's really looking at trying to find ingredients that are going to almost mimic the, the skin's natural exactly. barrier, right? To re replace that. Exactly. And then I think also too, when that skin feels tight and, and irritated, getting some more hydration back into that skin, such as like hyaluronic acid. I know we've talked a lot about that amazing ingredient. Now, when you're talking about moisturizers and products, I think it's interesting if we could even kind of tap into your thoughts of, do you think there's an, an effective strategy to help strengthen the skin's barrier between maybe something that you might prescribe, such as for someone with eczema or rosacea, as well as their at-home skincare? Is there a balance that um, someone could be able to achieve? Absolutely. So whenever you know I see a patient, I actually deconstruct what they're doing because it's really important for me to know exactly step-by-step step, what they're putting on their skin. Because oftentimes, um, we tend to want to do more to our skin. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, we want to solve the problem, whatever it may be. Um, and sometimes we're doing too much. Oftentimes we're doing too much. So when I see a patient and I diagnose them with rosacea or acne or eczema or just plain old dry skin, um, sometimes we do prescribe prescription medications. Sometimes I recommend over-the-counter medications, but, you know, cleansing, um, sometimes toning, moisturizing, and sunscreens are an inherent part of that regimen. So it's not just giving you a prescription medication and then you're out the door, but it is very important to use a good moisturizer that's appropriate for the skin. And then obviously, I'm a dermatologist, so always sunscreen. Yes, that's <laughs> um, <laughs> we both agree on that. Don't talk about sensitive skin, but I have to talk about sunscreen. Yes, um, yeah. important, so and, important. Yeah. So a lot of times people think, oh, I didn't realize that the prescription you gave me for my eczema is is not a moisturizer. I'm like, no, mm. the prescription I gave you was just the anti-inflammatory or the medication. 
but you really need to be coupling that um, and either or like kind of closing it up or sealing it up as like I like to say mm -hmm. um, with you know a healthy moisturizer that's appropriate um, for your skin type. And that's such a good point, especially like you said, that oftentimes a prescription could be misunderstood that thinking like, oh, this is now my skincare routine, where in fact, it actually mm -hmm. is more of a treatment It's the prescription is the medicine to really help to treat that disorder. And I know that when we were um, together in New York, we got to talk about an amazing product that's being launched um, as we speak. Um, so that was with our Berry Defense Booster and our Calm Water Gel. And I know that you were so excited about the Calm Water Gel. How do you feel mm -hmm. that this type of kind of barrier repairing moisturizer compares to maybe someone who has sensitive skin and decides to put something on that's like really heavy or occlusive or has more, you know, uh, petrolatum type of um, properties. Yeah. So, so when we think about moisturizers, um, and I know that you're very familiar about this, Beth, but you know, we kind of think about it in two big categories. Mm -hmm. Um, one is humectants and the other is called occlusive. Yes. Um, I personally don't like the word occlusive. Um, it could be very misleading because it sounds like, oh, you're occluding the skin, but really occlusive means that it, you know, coats the surface and it prevents, um, water from evaporating from the skin surface. There's many different types of ingredients that um, are occlusive. So you mentioned petrolatum. Um, <clears throat> another really common one is mineral oil. Mm -hmm. um, and I think historically dermatologists in the past, or even now today, um, particularly after um, big procedures that we do in the office, like a resurfacing laser procedure or something of that sort, or very um, kind of more aggressive chemical peel, we tend to like to recommend petrolatum um, because it is a great um, occlusive moisturizing ingredient, but it does have a greasy, oily texture, um, which to be totally honest is obviously not the most elegant. And most people don't want to be doing that, um, especially during the daytime. So there are other occlusive you know, ingredients such as oils. Um, and I know we had this conversation how you're a big, you know, um, oil fan of the skin. And I was a little bit hesitant just because, you know, I grew up with acne and I see a lot of acne patients, but not all oils are the same, um, obviously. So we have like, you know, different hoba oils, um, you know, sunflower oil, primrose oil, um, oat kernel oil. Um, and these are actually all great moisturizing ingredients that are are in the occlusive category, but don't clog the skin and cause acne formation, right. um, which a lot of people are concerned about. Um, the other big category of moisturizing ingredients is humectants, which is really the hero ingredient in the water gel that you mentioned. And humectants, um, really the purpose of them is that they bind water and they hydrate the skin by drawing water into themselves and to the surface of the skin. And this is like our favorite ingredient, one of our favorite ingredients, hyaluronic acid. There are other humectant ingredients like glycerin, um, urea, shea butter, you know, all these, all these types of things. And so the combination of, you know, an occlusive moisturizing ingredient with a humectant um, really is the best, um, which is why for me, the combination of the barrier defense booster um, as well as the water gel when they got launched together 
um, was very exciting to me as a dermatologist. Yeah, I think it's so it's so important to to understand the differences, and I'm glad that you took the time here today with us to kind of break that down because not you know every oil is is going to be bad for your skin. Not every moisturizer is going to mm-hmm. be the same. And I think you mentioned that you see a lot of acne patients. And I, when I have, um, when I'm dealing with clients who have acne, sometimes they get a little bit of a, like a phobia of a moisturizer. Mm-hmm. They get a little nervous about mm-hmm. like, I have oily skin. I can't use a moisturizer when in fact there are moisturizers out there that are for an oilier skin type. So do you, do you Absolutely. feel that that's important too, that even if you have something like acne, you could still be sensitive, sensitized because mm-hmm. of the inflammation is still keeping kind of keeping that healthy skincare routine, um, going as, as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, many acne patients are actually much more sensitized than they realize. Mm-hmm. And it's really because of what they're doing to their skin. Um, and so a lot of both over the counter and prescription topical or prescription oral medications can be drying to the skin, such as, you know, salicylic acid, benzoyl peroxide. These are the two biggies that we see for over-the-counter products for acne, um, as well as sometimes glycolic acid, um, alpha hydroxy acid as well. Um, as a dermatologist, we prescribe um, benzoyl peroxide that's combined with retinoids. Retinoids kind of like the big foundation of what we use to prescribe uh, to treat acne. And these can be very drying because they do exfoliate the skin. They are anti-inflammatory. So, you know, mild to moderate exfoliation can get a little pink, a little red, a little dryness, and a rough skin texture. Mm-hmm. But in more severe cases, like I see in my practice, People can come in with full-blown rashes, full-blown eczema, scabbing, even sometimes bleeding, you know, itching, stinging, changes in their pigmentation from really overdoing it when they're trying to treat their acne. So I always tell my patients that, you know, dry acne is just as bad as oily acne. If you think about dry skin, it's, you know, a lot of dead skin cells just packed on top of each other, and this clogs pores as well. Um, and so you need to be moisturizing, even if you have acne. Um, it's a big misconception um, that we see all the time in practice. I'm sure your skin therapists see this as well. And for a lot of um, adult kind of hormonal acne, which is much more common than people realize, actually 35 to 60% of adult women deal with hormonal acne. And your skin type is always changing, particularly when you get older, <laughs> which we all see. Um, our skin changes from our teenage years. We don't have as much of that kind of slick, oily skin mm-hmm. um, that we may have dealt with when we're dealing with teenage acne. And sometimes you can have, you know, other skin conditions like rosacea, um, which can actually, when you're over exfoliating, it can sometimes be really harmful and disastrous Um with causing new broken blood vessels and, you know, really too harsh of a treatment Mm -hmm. um, for your skin to take. So moisturizing, cleansers, sunscreen, this is the skin step that everyone really should be doing. Okay. So regardless of whether you have an oilier skin or you're completely dry, like I am, have gotten so dry in my skin to, uh, condition as I've gotten <laughs> older. Um, it's just like we're right. Trying, right? trying to get all that moisture in is that, you know, having a proper moisturizer, 
that I think also too that's been recommended for you, whether it's that you are, are working with your skin therapist, um, mm-hmm. you've had the conversation, you know, with a, with a dermatologist as well. I think that's important is that seeing both sides of the coin, so to speak, is that both dermatology and professional skin therapists, there's definitely a, a place for both in, um, in skincare practice. And I know that there are a lot of, um, professional skin therapists probably listening in today. And I know they're excited to have you speaking with us just as I am. Um, and I'm even seeing more skin therapists working in medical practices or medi spas or working with a dermatologist, because I think that they both right share that same goal is it's about the patient's overall skin health. So where yeah. do, you, do you see the relationship between both the skin therapists and the dermatologists? Where do you see that moving in the future? Because I'm really seeing a, a positive change right now. You know, I do too. And I think, you know, both dermatologists and skin therapists, you know, we, I mean, at the end of the day, we all love skin. Um, and we really have the same goals of wanting our patients and clients to have Um, really the most healthy skin possible. And we can provide that with, you know, skincare knowledge and specialized procedures. I think it's important for people to understand the difference between a dermatologist and a skin therapist. Mm -hmm. So a dermatologist is, um, you know, is a medical physician or a medical doctor who's completed four years of undergraduate studies, four years of, you know, medical school, um, and at least four years of residency. Um, three of which is specifically in dermatology. So dermatologists who are board certified um, are medical and surgical experts on the concern related to like the health of your skin, hair, and nails. Um, And they really serve the purpose, you know, to diagnose, treat skin conditions, diseases, abnormalities, write prescriptions, perform skin surgeries, um, and certain cosmetic procedures. And I think patients should see a dermatologist obviously once a year for a skin exam. Mm -hmm. And obviously if they are dealing with a rash or severe acne or rosacea or eczema that isn't clearing up with over-the-counter treatments, if there's a history of skin cancer or skin conditions or, you know, the desire for more complicated cosmetic procedures such as, you know, neuromodulators like Botox, fillers, lasers, et cetera, they should see a dermatologist. Mm -hmm. I think patients should seek a skincare therapist, or in the, in the States, we call them estheticians. I know that at Dermalogica, you guys like to say more skincare therapists, which I actually prefer, um, because it's more about skin health rather than just beauty alone, um, to really determine what their skin type is, you know, an appropriate skincare regimen. And oftentimes, I think a skincare therapist should be working or can be working hand in hand with a dermatologist to really um, kind of carry out the treatment plans. Sometimes if there's an underlying, you know, skin condition such as acne um, with facials and facial analyses to really complement each other. So I wholeheartedly think that dermatologists and skincare therapists should and often do collaborate because they do feel that the roles absolutely complement each other. Many of my patients see both. Um, It's not, I wouldn't say it's the majority, um, but I do think I'm seeing more of that collaboration um, between, you know, both groups of people, which 
makes me very happy because it's overall beneficial for the patients and the clients. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and it, well, as a skin therapist myself, it makes me very happy <laughs> to see that. Um, definitely to see that collaboration, as you mentioned, really happening, because as you said, dermatologists really diagnosing, right? Those skin mm -hmm. diseases, those disorders, those deeper issues on the skin, providing the surgeries, injectables, and then the skin therapist being able to come through and really help to maintain that overall skin health. I think they also too have <laughs> such an amazing knowledge of the skin itself and, you know, and what works and, um, you know, ingredients in at-home care products and also to the ingredients and products that they work with in their professional back bar because basically meaning that oftentimes when someone comes in for a skin treatment, the therapist is actually using professional products that that client or patient wouldn't have at home because we're trying to Absolutely. accelerate those results, make a change and, and definitely make a difference. And some of those services you had mentioned earlier about laser resurfacing, chemical peels. I know a lot of therapists out there are also doing chemical peels, but even in a dermatologist's mm -hmm. office going, obviously you're going much deeper in the skin mm -hmm. than is actually, um, is actually available to, to a, a licensed skin therapist when post care from that type of service, what do you recommend for your patients as far as, you know, what to look for that they should use or what to avoid? Because I know for me, when I would do chemical peels, I'd always tell my clients, like, you can't go home to your normal mm -hmm. skincare routine. You need to be using mm -hmm some other particular products and ingredients to help the skin repair. Is, is that the same for you and for dermatology? Absolutely. I mean, we go, I, I'm sure you guys do this as well, but we kind of go a step further in that I actually don't want them to do their regular skincare routine, depending right. on what treatment they're getting two to three days before, because that can make it so that a chemical peel is a little bit more aggressive than we would prefer or we would like. Um, so I actually have them actually just do the minimum, okay. meaning they're still cleansing their skin, um, with a gentle cleanser. And if they are applying makeup, you know, they should be double cleansing, um, to remove that makeup and then cleansing the skin. Um, and then moisturizing and sunscreen is basically what we look for. Mm -hmm. Um, so a really basic, um, uh, moisturizer that, you know, rebuilds that skin barrier that was broken um, because of what we did um, and so that the skin can heal properly. I always tell people that the skin heals with moisture, meaning it the skin cells can't jump over each other to close up a wound or to close up the skin if there's no kind of road for them. So that road is really a good moisturizer. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, obviously they stop all anti-aging products or all acne medications um, after a laser resurfacing treatment or, you know, chemical peel, um, and they just moisturize morning and night. If it's very aggressive, then sometimes I have them moisturize every two to three hours for the first couple of days. And then sunscreen is imperative. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really because we don't want any hyperpigmentation um, or brown patches um, to complicate any sort of resurfacing or, you know, procedure that we do. Um, and it's really a very simple, basic skincare routine um, of moisturizing, cleansing, and protecting the skin. So it's not that complicated. It's just 
you just can't go back to what you were doing before. Right. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I think it's important that, you know, for those who are tuning in with us today that, you know, when you're getting something that's a little bit more beyond than just a, a normal deep cleansing that, you know, you're getting that chemical peel or a deeper type of resurfacing, even if it's like a microdermabrasion, skin needling, dermaplaning, that you need to listen, right, to your to your mm-hmm. doctor and you need to listen to your skin therapist because at the end of the day, our priority is their top skin health. And I think, yeah. I think that's so important that you really kind of talk to us about how it is important just to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And that your dermatologist or your skin therapist kind of knows when you're ready to move into that next phase, when you can head back into that maybe cleanser or serum or exfoliating mm-hmm. um, agent that you were using before as well. And then mm-hmm. I know you and I have had a lot of conversations about um, our skin in particular, <laughs> your skin, my skin. I love, <laughs> I love pink oils. That's all we talk about. I know. Our- Skin, our clients can our patients get skin. <laughs> I mean, I could do it all day. I mean, we could be on here for hours, right? Talking I mean, that's about what we do. <laughs> well, it's a good thing that we can talk about it all day. Um, and I know you've mentioned because I feel like I have more sensitized skin. And it usually happens to right. me when I travel, which is quite mm-hmm. a bit, or um, Usually, you know, when I am stressed, I notice that my skin is a little bit more reactive to certain things. But you've mentioned that you personally have more of that true sensitive skin um, as well. So what advice or skincare tip do you have uh, for our listeners today that you could share? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I grew up with pretty rip-roaring hay fever, what we call allergic rhinitis. So, you know, definitely knows, you know swollen face, you know, all the, all the cute things in life. (laughs) And then I kind of outgrew that, um, and have progressed to having allergies on my skin. So, you know, it's so ironic that I'm a dermatologist and I deal with, you know, rashes all the time on myself. Um, but I have really bad eczema and it's really, um, mainly from products, um, or ingredients in products um, that I can be exposed to. So I'm actually very careful um, with what I use on my skin, but I'm also very proactive in that I like to, I like to play with products. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think it's fun and, you know, my job requires me to do so. Um, And obviously, you know, we're always using different, you know, um, anti-aging products, retinoids, you know, um, you know, alpha hydroxy acids or whatnot. So mm-hmm. some sensitive skin patients, including myself, I say um, less is sometimes more, but more importantly, patience is key. Um, I know, like I said earlier, there's this kind of obsession of, you know, reading and learning more about skin health and the beauty space. And a lot of my patients, they'll come in and be like, oh, I read about this. I read about that. Should I add this? When should I do that? Should I be using an eye cream? Should I be using the serum? Which toner should I be using? I want to change this. And I always say that caring for your skin is really a marathon and it's not a sprint particularly when there's, you know, an underlying or intrinsic sensitivity, we do need to take it slow. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, your skin cell cycles every six weeks. Right. So even though you may want to add a new, you know, retinol or a new serum, 
Um, in addition to an eye cream, because it's the new year and you want to kind of start fresh, I always recommend one new product at a time, um, reassessing at a month later or six weeks later, depending on your skin type, and then, you know, when appropriate um, to add on a second or a third or a fourth, fourth agent, which I feel can be really confusing and overwhelming, which, why, which is why I think that um, it would be very beneficial to work, obviously, with the skin therapist and or a dermatologist um, because it can be very overwhelming. Um, but that's really kind of the big advice that I give to a lot of my patients that you need to be patient. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that. I mean, we have, we've had an aha moment here. I mean, my favorite part is that your skincare, it's like your skincare journey is not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon, right? It's, it's patience yeah. and it's understanding, you know, what you're using, why you're using it, avoiding some of those ingredients that you mentioned, right? Artificial colors, fragrances, things that can cause irritation and partnering with a professional is, is also, is also key as well. Well, I'm so glad that I got to partner with you today. Thank you so much <laughs> for calling too. in. Um, we know that Dr. Levine, you're practicing in Tribeca in Manhattan, and you are opening up your own practice in spring of 2018. So we're yes, excited, we're excited for you. Yes. Well, congratulations yes. on that. Thank you for Thank taking you. the time to really speak authentically and candidly with us today. We can't wait to have you back on our Living Skin podcast. And for those of you listening, if there's other topics of skincare and conversations that you would love to have, please send us an email to livingskinpod at dermalogica.com. And Dr. Levine, thank you again. And we wish you all the best in your new practice. And we'll thank speak to you so soon. much. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to Living Skin. You can find us on iTunes and the podcast section of Google Play Music. And don't forget to rate and subscribe. For more information, visit Dermalogica.com. And until next time, thank you for listening.